0: Welcome to this special episode of The Partial Historians. I'm Dr Rad, and normally Dr G and I discuss the history of Rome from the founding of the city. But today we begin a deep dive into Quo Vadis, 1951. We ended up talking for so long about this epic that we have split the episode into two parts. This is part one of our coverage of Quo Vadis, in which we will examine the context and the plot. We hope that you enjoy this sword and sandal classic as much as we did.
1: Hello and welcome to this very special, special episode of The Partial Historians. I am Dr. G. And I am Dr. Rad. And we are so excited because we're going to be talking about the film, the film Quo Vadis.
0: Yes, Now we have talked about this on, on someone else's podcast before. But it was
1: years ago. It was a really
0: long time ago and we've never done it, just the two of us. So we thought we would revisit because as of time of recording, it is Easter.
1: It is Easter. Yeah. And we did have a special request come through from one of our supporters. So yeah. shout out to you. Yeah. This is Quo Vadis
0: Indeed. From us. <laughs> so Quo Vadis is one of the biggest blockbuster films sword and sandals of the 1950s it really kicks off the decade i was going to say this is 1951
1: exactly and yeah. boy is the bar set high because this film is probably what just as long as the fall of the roman empire but better like i didn't get bored Ah,
0: that's good to hear we well, see i never know how people are going to respond to all these different ones but yes it was definitely, I think, the film that kind of set the tone for the decade, you know, had Hollywood chasing the Romans constantly, like, this is where we're going to make money, people. This is how we're going to save our industry. But it didn't just come out of nowhere, Dr. G. So I thought before we actually talk about the 1951 film, we have to acknowledge some of the background. Uh, a true historian you are. <laughs> I can't help myself. Because this is actually based on a blockbuster novel. Ah, yes. And the success of the novel is part of what engenders the film. Exactly. Exactly. So it was written in the 19th century, like right at the end. It was appearing in sort of a serialized version between 1894 and 1896, originally written in Polish, Because the author was Polish, unsurprisingly. So far makes sense. Yeah. His name was Henrik Sinkowitz. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. And and he, he was known for writing quite a few novels, particularly historical novels. Generally ones that I think showed the Polish people in a way that was going to lift morale for the people of his own time. Uh, And that, I think, has a lot to do with what Poland was dealing with at this point in time. And I'll come to that in a moment. But essentially, in this particular book that he was writing, it's meant to be that the Christians kind of stand for like the very earliest version of the Catholic Church, which had come to be very important for representing Polish interests against the other nations that wanted to control Poland at this point in time. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, But I think also it was also maybe sparked by the fact that there were large-scale excavations going on in Rome at around the time that he was writing as well, from about 1870 to 1914. There's lots of things being uncovered and lots of exciting finds being shared across Europe. Indeed, yeah, because... Poland, ah, Poland has such a sad history. There is no independent Poland between 1795 and 1918, essentially. But resistance continues throughout this entire time, and the Catholic Church is just crucial for trying to preserve Polish culture when it's going through one of those classic periods of oppression where, you know, occupying powers are saying, hey, you can't speak your own language. No, not even in school. You know, so they're trying to preserve their identity and that sort of thing. So one of the main characters of the novel is a girl called Lidja. And would I be right in guessing that this is supposed to be a stand-in for Poland? Yes. (laughs) Yes, you are correct. Uh, As well as her... That explains the
1: blonde hair.
0: Yeah, as well as her kind of servant, Ursus. Mm. So both of them are meant to be representing Catholic Poland and the Polish people. Nice. All right. And the fact that Nero does not end well in this novel, is meant to be a bit of a threat, I think, against the various countries that are exploiting Poland at this point in time, namely Russia, Austro-Hungary and Prussia, Mm. not to be confused with Russia.
1: All of whom would be utilising Roman symbolism as part of their regalia, as part of their politics. So this is not a huge jump for the imagination of the Polish reader to
0: be like, Oh, I see where you're going here. Yeah, definitely. So I just thought that was a bit interesting to note. And Quo Vadis did become an international bestseller. It was published in many different translations. So lots of people end up becoming familiar with this particular work. In fact, in 1905, Sinkiewicz, our author, was awarded the Nobel Prize for Literature. Wow. But yeah. not for Quo Vadis, for something else? I actually feel like it was for Quo Vadis, but now I'm doubting myself. <laughs> maybe it's just the way i've organized my notes where i'm like quo international bestseller awarded nobel prize either way he's a good writer he's done well for himself yeah, yeah people are captured by the story and it ends up being adapted many times into plays into operas and eventually there are multiple film versions of this particular novel I thought it might be a good point, however, to pause and talk a little bit about when this is supposedly set context.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Mm. we've got – we're in the late period of Nero's reign Mm. from what we can tell. Yeah. Uh, There is the story of Agrippina, his mother, already having been knocked off. Yes. He's also gotten rid of Octavia. First wife. Yes. Yeah. And – He's now married to somebody called Popaea. Yes. Now, so, Nero
0: Nero is someone who's pretty infamous, but just in case you don't know who the Emperor Nero is, and that's completely fine, he is part of the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Draw yes. their descent from, well, I mean. Julius Caesar, ultimately,
1: but yes. most people leverage their connection to Augustus. I was going to say, it's really Augustus they're concerned
0: about, and one of the Claudian can. One of those Claudians, one of them in there somewhere. Uh, They're blended together in this amazing McFlurry of a family. And Nero, when he comes to power in 54 CE, he is a teenager, about 16 years old, about to turn 17 when he comes into power. And if you're thinking to yourself, ha, don't think i'd trust teenagers with that much power you'd be correct
1: yes you shouldn't and we don't recommend putting them into power that young because well there's plenty of historical evidence to suggest they cannot handle the heady
0: heights of power at that age yeah particularly when you have a mother who whilst amazing is extremely dominating like agrippina the younger who may very well have committed murder of her own uncle slash husband in order to make you emperor (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So in spite of all of this, allegedly the first few years of Nero's reign started,
1: you know, yeah. well,
0: I suppose you could it's, say. There was a talk of the five good years of Nero.
1: Yeah. Where he's following his advisors. He's got a few. Seneca is probably the most famous of yeah. them. Yeah. And Agrippina seems to also be a moderating Uh, maternal force. She may be quite domineering, but Nero seems to... Sometimes that's a good thing. ...be able to go along with that initially. Yeah,
0: and Boris, uh, head of his Praetorian Guard. Mm. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. All these people seem to be actually the ones calling the shots, and that's probably a good thing because I don't think Nero is particularly interested in the reality of politics. He's okay with the benefits, but... I don't think he's super interested in ruling per se, unless it's like, get me another eunuch. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, he's young.
1: He's got a lot to learn. And maybe he steps into leadership in a slightly bigger way as time goes on. Certainly he makes a play to be the one who gets to decide things. Oh, definitely. Ultimately. And we see the shift away from what is thought of as the five good years into like, oh nero's in charge now yeah oh
0: well then how's that gonna go for everyone not
1: great <laughs> look yeah. if this
0: film is anything to go by pretty terribly <laughs> <laughs> uh the historical accuracy we will get to that in a sec but yeah the, the major i think signs of like a turning point is that number one in 59 ce agrippina the younger is murdered by nero and i don't think anybody disputes that Everybody seems to credit
1: him as being the killer. Yeah, there are various methods. And uh, when the collapsible boat doesn't work out, uh, he, he moves on to uh, more uh, fatal measures.
0: More straightforward, certainly. And then a few years after that, Boris dies. And Seneca also appears to take a step back, maybe because he's losing influence And this is around the time that his marriage falls apart with Octavia, his first wife, who's very popular with the people, and also one of his relatives. Creepy, yes, but let's not dwell on it. Pretty normal for the Julia Claudians. Yeah, exactly. Look, they could be closer related, let's just say that. And he starts hanging out with this other elite woman who's apparently far more depraved, Papaya Sabina. Eventually she will become his next wife, But he starts making more audacious moves after 62, not just because he gets rid of Octavia. And when I say he gets rid of her, he doesn't just divorce her. He also puts her to death in a really terrible way, which does not win him any friends. But in 64, we start to see Nero performing publicly on stage, which is a real no-no for anyone in the elite, but particularly the Emperor.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So Nero has this reputation as somebody who enjoys the arts. Oh, yes. Enjoys the theatre. Oh, yes. No. And while you may think to yourself, "Well, they're innocent diversions," and many people enjoy the theatre and the arts uh, <laughs> without being raving psychopathic <laughs> murder their own mothers. It's not quite the same in ancient Rome. No. Some forms of entertainment are considered very low brow, ah. and For Nero himself to be a stage performer Mm. is considered well outside the bounds of what is morally and socially acceptable for somebody of an elite stature. Oh, definitely.
0: And I think it also has to do with the idea of putting yourself publicly on display in that way, like using your body in that kind of a way. Oh, hello. Yeah. It just, it just. Ugh, yeah. But
1: apparently he counted himself as being quite the artiste. Yes. A
0: bit of a singer. Yeah. A bit of a instrumentalist. Oh, what can't he do, Dr. G? It's really a <laughs> question. Or at least, what won't he pretend he can't do?
1: <laughs> the other problem with this kind of thing is, from a Roman perspective, is these kinds of pursuits are also seen as being a little bit too Greek. Yes, and we know that Nero seems to have been very fond of Greek culture. And, yes, for the Romans, this is concerning because they feel the Greeks are a little bit too effeminate for their liking. Way too soft.
0: That's not how you conquer the world. Can be tough with the Romans. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Anyway, it's in AD 65 that we have the Great Fire of Rome. We'll get to that. I'm not going to talk about the accuracy of this event right now. I mean, there is a fire. Don't get me wrong. That's true. Rome definitely suffers from a fire. And there's definitely a rebuilding program, which Nero leads. Yeah. So there's a very big fire, very damaging. Not uncommon to have a fire in Rome, but a fire on this scale is unusual. And then, of course, we have one of the largest and probably better known conspiracy against Nero in that same year, the Pisonian Conspiracy. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. However, Nero still he survives. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> performs at the Neronia, a Greek festival that he throws. Uh, <laughs> named after himself oh how sweet i think you're getting a bit of a feel for him so far uh, and then we see a real degeneration i think after this point you see the death of Papea, also allegedly because of nero's actions he murders her we see plague in rome in 66 ce which again is not nero's fault but it's not great and many people are being put to death in this year. On top of that, nothing to do with the plague, just because of the conspiracy of the previous year. And if that went enough, there's another conspiracy in 66. Nero still goes on holiday in Greece. And there's a revolt in Judea. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, which isn't great. And then in 67 CE, we start to see the execution of very competent and popular generals, like a guy called Corbulo, Which doesn't, again, win Nero any friends. And finally, in 68, this is where we're going to see one of the more notable revolts against Nero, mostly because it's successful. (laughs) And Nero will eventually be ousted from power and commit suicide. Mm. he comes to a uh sticky end yeah so that's just a bit of a rough context for those who don't know Nero particularly well about when Quo is set because Quo is taking place in these latter years as you said yeah we're definitely in the post five good years by the time we see
1: Nero on screen in Quo he is married to Papaya Sabina yeah and that is where all of this is heading and we also see the way that Nero is constructed in this film is very much in service of the broader Christianizing narrative, which yes. is the dominant narrative
0: for this whole film. I'm so, so glad you said that, Dr. G. Because one of the things I wanted to mention is that I think one of the forms of adaptation that has a real legacy in the films that we see are toga plays. Now toga plays were very popular in the 19th century and even I think into the early 20th century to be honest. The Quo Vata's versions were not necessarily themselves like huge smash hits, like they did okay, but the hallmarks of a toga play I think you can see in the film version. So for example, the fact that you have to have this kind of generic Christianity because you don't want to specialize or get specific because that way... Everyone who's even remotely Christian can endorse the film as being, you know, le- you know, leading the way with Christianity and that sort of thing. But perhaps more important than that even are the female characterizations that you tend to see spring up in toga plays. So you often have a Christian female in these productions who is self-sacrificing, domestic... And she has a interesting influence over the more aggressive, perhaps bolder, smarter, even funnier, perhaps even more attractive male in oh, the story. Well,
1: well, well. I think there's also some interesting parallels to be drawn between the way that these kinds of films, and it sounds like these toga plays as well that I'm less familiar with, are also doing a very similar thing to the way that Christian philosophical literature from the 2nd and 3rd century CE are doing in terms of building a convincing case Mm. for why it would be good for you to also be Christian.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, and I think that's the interesting thing about toga plays and then sword and sandal type films or, you know, just films about Rome in general, in that Rome for both the British and the North Americans in the Victorian age They're often the bad guys in these sorts of things. You know, these choker plays in the the early films and even the later films, to be honest. But even though they're the bad guys and therefore they are the other, because, of course, Britain and North America would see themselves as being on the side of Christianity. But at the same time, there's obviously got to be a lot that they recognise in themselves in terms of empire, Mm. wanting power, wanting conquest. You know, the pillars of civilization oh it's the duelling sides of the soul isn't it it it? it's that desire
1: for the material gain that rome represents so well yeah and and the spiritual richness of the christian soul
0: yeah and i i I always have this phrase in my head which i didn't actually need to write it down even though i have because it really stood out for me when i was doing my research into this kind of stuff from Mayer, and he says rome and its empire were painfully familiar and I think that always sums up very well the kind of relationship that the British and American audiences are going to continue to have with Rome. Uh, now, of course, Quo does make it to the screen very early, in fact. And it's been adapted many times. We're focusing on the 1951 version, but there are a couple of silent versions. And there was a version from 2001. There was a miniseries in 1985. You know, Vadis is one of those ones that people keep going back to, like Ben Hur. And as we know, Hollywood likes a repeat success story. (laughs) They certainly do. This works. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Nero's reign really works on a Hollywood level (laughs) because it allows you to have this extravaganza of consumption and excess and lavishness on the screen whilst also being like, it's not cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, guys, don't, don't do this. Don't do <laughs> that. Consumption. I mean, look on, but yeah. uh, heaven forfend that you do this.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was a very famous version in 1912 directed by Enrico Glazoni, and this is generally seen as a pretty spectacular early film, you know, because they're still experimenting with the, the medium and that sort of thing. So... It's seen as having some really interesting technological innovations, which makes the story, I think, much more powerful. And then we have another version in 1925, which is also interesting because, of course, it's like the rise of fascism is mm. happening in that at that point in time. So it's not overly influenced by that. Uh, But anyway, but we do want to focus on the 1951 version today, so let's skip ahead to that. Shall we talk about the general plot of the 1951 version? It is a bit different to the novel. All right,
1: so Quo Vadis 1951. Mm. So we've got essentially a a cast of our Roman characters and our Christian characters. Yes. And we start with our Romans. We've got a Roman commander coming back to Rome, as he should after successfully leading his legions over in Britain and whatnot. And where this sort of takes off is that he's not allowed to go into the city straight away. He's got to camp outside and he finds out later that this is for good reasons. Nero wants to put on a proper display with a whole bunch of legions and commanders coming back quite soon. But this means that our main character, Marcus Vinicius has to end up staying with a friend Mm. rather than, uh, popping home and doing his own thing.
0: Awkward. <laughs> Crashing on the triclinium. <laughs> yeah. And it's a
1: guy that he's known for a long time, mm. used to be a Roman commander himself. So they've got a, a history there and that's nice. But what seems to have happened that maybe Vinicius hasn't picked up on between the last time he saw this guy is that this family has become Christian.
0: <gasps> Ooh, how
1: disgusting <laughs> you know he kind of doesn't come into this knowledge for quite some time mm-hmm. uh, he's they're pretty
0: creative secretive. yeah
1: he's pretty oblivious and they're really not being overt about it they're not being like woohoo you know yeah. there's something new in town have you tried christianity <laughs> no they're being very calm very quiet and it's during this moment that vinicius also runs into their daughter, the daughter of this guy and his wife, Lygia, mm. in the household. And he's like, you know, every time the camera pans to her, it's a Vaseline moment. She is it – is, it is incredible. <laughs> uh, but he immediately uh, starts to deploy his – what I think he thinks is charismatic charm, but is really Roman boorishness. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, well, particularly someone like her. And she's, she's an interesting character because she is meant to be a hostage – of the Lygian king, but she's become like a daughter to these people. Well, she's they say that she's been
1: adopted. Yes, exactly. And they've yes. taken her in as their as her as their own. Yeah. But she is a hostage of a foreign kingdom. And yes. she does have a bodyguard who's also from that kingdom, who yep. also lives in the household. Yeah. And this whole arrangement is Very interesting, but also Vinicius kind of like just sort of like tramples all over things and (laughs) tries to do a bit of a clumsy seduction after he's just seen her for the first time and she's not having a bar of that. Yeah. Which is fair enough. (laughs) Smart move, lady. But this means that a friction has been set up where, because Vinicius has been denied in this very sort of materialistic Roman way that they're being characterized, he starts to develop this thing, well, if I can't have it, I really want it. Oh, for sure. And this colors a whole bunch of things. Yeah. So this leads him to create a scenario through his contacts with Nero to have Lygia transferred out of that household. He finds out that she's the hostage. Yep. And he's like, what do we know about how hostage law works? Mm. And they're like, well, it's Sneaky the...
0: Sneaky bastard. Yeah. <laughs> if the
1: emperor says so, I mean, the hostage can be transferred to a different household. Yeah. So Vinicius sets this up. So Lygia is, first of all, ripped out of the home <laughs> that she has come to know. It's totally going to win her over. hundred yeah, percent. Definitely. Yep. Um, she gets gussied up uh, at the Imperial Palace into some fancy dress. I think you mean she gets solidified. <laughs> <laughs> they put her in a... Very nice gown. Yeah. Uh, I think she's too comfortable in it, though. It's too revealing. Too revealing and maybe a little bit too shiny. Yeah. Uh, And they put her on display in front of the emperor at a sort of a dinner party situation where Vinicius is like, you look ravishing. And she's like, why am I even here? Like like, I've just been ripped from my family, like whatever. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, well the good news is I did that. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, excuse me. He's like, you're mine now by Imperial decree. Did you know? And she's like, Oh my God. Uh, So anyway, I can't take a hint. (laughs) Yeah she finds a way to escape essentially from that situation yeah Nero is kind of oblivious and doing his own thing in the meantime and I think this is an important subplot Poppea has spotted Vinicius and she's like well he looks pretty hot oh yes and her reputation for debauchery knows no bounds so everybody's kind of like, they're not really surprised when she tries to sort of, she calls him over for a bit of a chat. Yeah. Um, Nero doesn't seem perplexed about this kind of thing at all. They're like, is oh, being prepared. You know? <laughs> she's an interesting This one. is just
0: how women act. Yeah. yeah. They ta- want me.
1: My tiger, my yeah. cheetah. <laughs> uh, so she does a bit of a thing where she makes sure Vinicius knows that she's interested in him. Yes. And he's like, okay, that's cool, but my chick's over there. But then she disappears. Lygia is sort of whisked away mm. and
0: secreted away. And it turns out. And it has something to do with Acte, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Acte is actually a historical person. Yes. Yeah. Actually, as are her adoptive parents, I should say. Mm. Yeah, Actae is mentioned in connection with Nero. Yeah, Actae yeah. is somebody who is written about in
1: the source material as being one of these people that he has a relationship with. And yes. she's an actress, I think. I actually she thought was she was a freed woman or a slave. She, there, yeah, there's something yeah. going on there. She yeah. has – She's low. She's very low yeah. status, yeah. but they have a connection and she is written about. And in the film, she's sort of running the sort of – the ladies of the household. She's kind of like a high-up sort
0: of servant, it would seem. Yeah, yeah, but she's obviously madly in love with Nero.
1: Still in love with Nero. Yep. Nero no longer seems to care. He's moved on. pay yep. is where it's at. Yeah. Hashtag move on. <laughs> <laughs> and Actae is very uh, implicated in the escape of Lygia yes. from the Imperial Palace. She
0: shows Lygia the sign of the fish. Yeah. Which she's is not very... a Christian
1: herself. No, but, she's... but she, she's sympathetic.
0: Yeah. And again, this kind of ties in with what we know about early Christianity in that it does seem to be something that I think appealed to those lower down the social scale rather mm. than those at the top. And so we find
1: out that the Christians are sort of getting together in the caves uh, on the outskirts of the city. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're catacombs, maybe they're not, uh, but they're getting together underground. And it's in this sort of moment that Peter turns up, mm, <laughs> as in Saint Peter, not Doctor G. <laughs> yeah, I didn't turn up in this no. film. You can look for that cameo. You yeah. shall not find it. <laughs> uh, Saint Peter turns up, and he gives a bit of a sermon. And at that sermon, Marcus Vinicius, by this point, has figured out that she's been taken by the Christians and whisked away, and he's found a way to infiltrate into the cave and the meeting. So he gets to hear, yeah. <laughs> gets to hear this sermon as well. He doesn't really buy into the Christianity stuff, but he's certainly uh, hearing some different material yeah. these days. Yeah, And that sort of leads into this situation where he's trying to figure out how he can nab her mm. after Ligia's going home uh, via the, the secret pathways – Got a bodyguard with her. It's all very hush hush. It's all very hush hush. But <laughs> yeah. it's late at night, and you think to yourself, "I saw a lot of Christians in that cave. Surely the streets would be more crowded than this, but they're not." Don't ask those sorts of questions. <laughs> and she's easily spotted. Ursus, the which bodyguard, Latin for Latin yeah. for bear, yeah, which yeah. is beautiful because he's a big, tall, strong he is, guy. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I can hear people following us, and she's like, what? <laughs> And he's like, No, seriously. <laughs> you go trail, ahead. Lady. Yeah. 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 You go ahead and yeah. I'll wait here. And so he catches them unawares, mm-hmm. manages to kill the gladiator that Vinicius has hired to be his strong man for the night. <laughs> <laughs> his Greek friend who helped him infiltrate the cave runs away. Of course. And Vinicius gets sort of a smoosh on the head and Ursus takes him to uh, where they're hiding Lygia, so they're staying in somebody else's place. Yeah. And it's pretty clear from the architecture that this is a bit of a step down for her. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the former But she's cool, she's cool with it. She's cool with it because it's Christian. She's very Christian. Yeah. She doesn't mind. Uh, they've created a cross out of two sticks tied together, and that's good enough for her. Mm. And this moment, this is kind of one of these really pivotal scenes in this film. Oh, it's such a Florence Nightingale thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so pivotal because vinicius is like why did you not kill me to yeah, ursus. yeah and ursus is like well it's sin mm. even though we just killed a gladiator yeah uh <laughs> him i kill you are yeah, the yeah. That, that guy was trying to kill me so that's yeah. Self-defense. self-defense yeah whereas you you're already out for the count yeah <laughs> so anyway so it didn't kill you and so there's this moment of exchange and then vinicius is like well you know all of this trouble i don't understand it i'm just going to leave you to it you're not a hostage of me anymore lygia i don't care i don't want anything to do with it anymore <laughs> and as soon as he rejects her yeah this is also opening up the pathway for her to be open and honest about how she feels because she's no longer in a position of coercion mm. and immediately she's, she's like secretly got the for him <laughs> she's like but i've always loved you
0: <laughs> why <laughs>
1: it is baffling yeah and one can only assume it's because he's so good looking yeah
0: look I mean obviously Lidger is played by Deborah Carr you know she's obviously big star at this point in time and Vinicius is played by Robert Taylor also big star of the time known to be quite attractive so you know yeah so apparently
1: he's hot enough and even though he's silly (laughs) because <laughs> I mean, he's revealed, He's really only revealed himself to be very silly up until now to right. her. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's like, you know, he's tried to seduce her by being rude to her. And then he's uh, stolen her from her hostage family yeah, that she likes she loved, living. Yeah, yeah. And then he's trying to follow her home from a Christian gathering. Like, he's done nothing to warrant her pain. <laughs> any, any affection whatsoever. Yeah. And she's like, but I've always... <laughs> So I think she might be talking with her downstairs rather than her upstairs. At well, this point isn't in time. that what women think with? Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, and that's exciting because Vinicius is then immediately
0: back in. He's
1: like, let's do this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I was just kidding. I take like back everything I just said. Really?
1: Really? You're oh, yeah. Now you're into it? Yeah. Cool. And so you can see how the uh, sort of like the people who play the game, those sort of like, get, okay. <laughs> yeah. Those of like sort of those dating gurus that were sort of like quite oh, popular okay, in like the yeah. late nineties, yeah, sort yeah, of maybe reverse psychology. Yeah, is all about all of that kind of stuff like mm. mystery and things yeah. like that. You can see how they might have watched a film like this and been, like, nagging her was the thing that worked. Yes, like yes. that's and it's like no, but you were always a terrible person. And a guy wrote this script. It's yeah. really really clear. Yeah, yeah, uh, because. Uh, Ligia is just a little bit unbelievable in this moment, but they have a discussion about, you know, how they're going to stay together and how it's going to be amazing. And she's like, well, if you stay with me, you've got to believe in my faith. And Vinicius is like, well, I could just be with you. You can bring whatever gods you want. I don't mind. You do you. The
0: more the merrier. I'm Roman.
1: Yeah. He's like, I don't mind. There's heaps of gods. There's enough for all of us. Yeah. And she's like, that's, no, no. that's not good enough. No. I, no, you actually have to really try to buy in here. Mm. And he's like, what is wrong with you he snaps <laughs> you the wooden just cross we
0: were together <laughs> now you're saying there's all these
1: conditions yeah, yeah and he gets really mad has a temper tantrum breaks the cross throws it on the ground storms off like
0: these people haven't <laughs> suffered enough
1: for god's <laughs> sakes their cross is made out of sticks so anyway it's a, That's kind of like this moment of crisis For yeah, these two absolutely. And then it kind of uh, switches To this um, more Nero Focused side of the story uh, I would say yes, Now we're going to set it alight
0: <laughs> Nero and yeah. the
1: fire of Rome In the background While this story has been playing out Between uh, Vinicius and Lygia In the background we've been seeing Nero Doing little quirky things Here and there and he's starting to get a little bit inspired by this idea that he can't be a true artist unless he experiences the things that he wants to talk about. Which, to be fair... Is, is method. Is, very method. I was going to say, <laughs> kind of
0: what some people have actually said and still practice to this day.
1: So. Yeah. Method acting, yeah. never out of fashion. Nero's buying in big time. Yeah. There's been... He's like, Stan <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> For Nero, there's this really interesting dynamic that is playing out across this whole film with his relationship with one of his advisors, Petronius. Mm. And Petronius is kind of like this, like hilarious, quasi historical. Like there is a Petronius in history, yes, but, and he was a friend of Nero's, yeah. But it, this, in this version, this version, he's also version, the
0: uncle of Marcus Vinicius.
1: It, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, they, they've taken some liberties, and that's okay. Yeah, but Petronius is this kind of really intelligent figure who is able to say the right thing at the right time even when it doesn't seem like it's going to be the right thing Mm. to bring Nero around to a certain perspective
0: yeah and he's he's definitely on damage control like his whole mission seems to be that I mean he's very much looking out for himself like and also looking out for his nephew
1: Vinicius as well like Nero does have a moment where he spots Lygia, and he's like
0: oh wait a minute maybe i gave away too good a prize yes exactly yeah so petronius is all about damage control in the sense that he wants to have a pleasant life he wants to look after his family standard and then he also seems to be trying to make sure that rome is not governed too stupidly so he tries to always talk nero around to something that would actually be not terrible
1: yeah, yeah And but unfortunately for petronius he also seems to make maybe a slight error where he kind of suggests that nero needs to focus more on his art and things yeah. like that yeah and nero takes that up seriously and runs with that <laughs> and the problem with that is that nero then gets into his mind that he needs to see rome burn in order to be able to create the rome of his vision
0: yeah and also you know that idea of like reciting a song about Troy and, you know, writing about that and that sort of thing. He needs to see it. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so Petronius is trying to get him to sort of
1: exceed his own capacity as an artist, being like, you know, you, know, you could go beyond Homer, you know, you could go beyond Virgil. And Nero's kind of like, how will I do it? Yeah. <laughs> Petronius is like, Tell you, me. you've got to live it. And Nero's like, well, if I have to live it, Let's burn the city so I can live the emotion of it and then I can build it from the ground up. And he kind of has this relationship with the people where he needs them, but he kind of dislikes them at the same time. He's Mm. kind of this they sort of they feed his sort of need for attention, but he's also kind of annoyed with the fact
0: that they're always there and in the way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah so, definitely and and in this version i think it's probably clear there is no doubt that nero is responsible for lighting the fire not personally no but, but they make it yeah ordered it, yeah
1: and this is something that is in contradiction to the real complexities of the ancient evidence yeah which, we'll, which we will get
0: into so yeah. hold
1: that thought but yeah. the film definitely blames nero he's the architect of the fire he also has an architect with a new plan for rome constructed <laughs> what will be built after the city has burnt so realistically nero is to blame
0: here definitely but he soon realizes i mean i think all the all his elite hangers on they seem to have been willing to tolerate nero's behavior i think up until this point but this is something else and so nero is you know obviously feeling very unpopular from multiple angles and he's like i need to do something about this and therefore he's going to pin it on the christians Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Mm. So,
1: this idea in the film comes from Popea. Yes, that's right. So, we have this moment where Rome is on fire. At that time, most of Nero's court is in Antium. Mm. Vinicius hears that Rome is burning, realizes that Lygia is still there. And even though they've had this thing where it's like they're clearly not together and it's not working out, he's had a cha- he's realized that he has to go and save her of course. So he races back to Rome and by doing so gets himself into a bit of trouble actually because apparently it was Nero's Praetorians that set fire to everybody knows that it was the Roman military yes. that set the fire. yeah and people on the ground don't want anything to do with a guy in uniform. Vinicius is always dressed up in his military garb because he cannot help himself.
0: <laughs> Breastplates all the way.
1: Yeah, he's never thought to take them off, but even though he's not leading an army right now. <laughs> Apart <laughs> from that first scene, there is no reason for him to no, be There's <laughs> no soldiers under his command. He's just yeah. chilling out in Rome. It's, just, it's a good posture, you know? Yeah, yeah. look, he loves it. Yeah, And... He turns up and people are sort of like trying to push him away, but he manages to save people by redirecting them into the sewer system. Ah, so clever. that's clever. Yeah, and then he does spot Lygia, and so this is a moment of reunion and yeah. all of this sort of thing. Sadly,
0: but, sadly,
1: <laughs> sadly, it does not last. He does end up getting arrested, as does Lygia, as does Ursus, as yep. as do a whole bunch of people. Who Christian. Because yeah. they're rounded up because they are considered to be Christian. Yeah. Because Vinicius is hanging out with Lygia, that, that doesn't help his cause at all. So he gets lumped in with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, Popeya has had this amazing idea that the Christians will be to blamed to be will be blamed yep. for the Those fire. Yep. And then they will set up a whole bunch of games and put them on display in the arena.
0: Sounds like a fabulous evening. And it's a good Roman timeout, you know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Man, <laughs> And
1: so there are some very dramatic scenes with a lot of lions.
0: Yeah, well, you know, you don't want to do things half-hearted. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but, like, in terms of – I'm just thinking from, a like, a film perspective. Like, oh, yeah. there were
0: a lot of lions oh, shown on screen. Let's be real. I don't want to – I've never looked into it because I don't want to know what may or may not have happened on that set. This is before really strict regulations were in place about how animals, you know, be treated by the entertainment industry – and given that we're still in an era where factory farming is somehow okay, I just don't want to look back. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going to be good news for
1: anybody. It's fair enough. Yeah. Um, but, yes, I have some concerns about how many lions were involved. Yeah. Anyway, they bring out the Christians in kind of like groups, and part of what happens in this moment of the film is Nero becomes increasingly agitated because the Christians start singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as peace. Yeah, yeah, finding a moment of peace – between like the moments where they're getting slaughtered yeah and this discomforts him greatly yeah he doesn't understand it doesn't understand it doesn't like it and you know other people are singing and he's the singer really yeah (laughs) that's true (laughs) like how dare they (laughs) and so no
0: i don't like living under your spotlight I could
1: see him standing up and doing that. You know, like <laughs> doing doing a sing back, you know, a dramatic sing Don't
0: tell me not to live, just sit and butter. <laughs>
1: so this kind of thing is going, he's not very happy. He kind of wants to get them all out all at once and just get rid of them all. Yes. And Popeye is like, no no, wait. And he also does an inspection of the bodies at mm. the end of the first day of the Christian it's sort always of this creepy inspection of bodies in these films, I've realized. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to see what's going on because a lot of them have died with smiles on their faces yes. and this creeps him out. Yeah. Well, and fair enough. I mean, creepier, people no. don't die with smiles on their faces no. usually.
0: Not, not horribly in an arena. They do. No, no. no. Yeah. Now he has also managed mm. to round up St. Peter as being a part of, well, yes. Yeah. And so I
1: was just about to get to that because parallel to this, we yes. had Peter giving a sermon in the caves underneath Rome. Yeah. But then he seems in a, an aside plot kind of element. He seems to be leaving Rome with a young boy. Busy guy. Yeah. yeah, Busy guy. Um, Young kid. And they're on the road together and they're heading out of the city. And Peter is in this moment where he does the famous line, Mm. quo vadis domine, Mm. Uh, because he he doesn't know where to go next. He doesn't know what to do next. He's seeking some guidance. And a light, uh, the light of the sun shimmers through the trees and it seems that the Lord speaks through the child oh. and tells him that he needs to go back to Rome and that is how he has to save people. Otherwise, A Jesus... child. Either Jesus has to come back down and, <laughs> yeah. and then do another thing where he gets killed in Rome. Uh, yeah. And Peter's like, oh, well, we can't have that. No. And he also talks to the child being like, say it again. And the kid's like, I didn't say anything. <laughs> So, shut up, mister. So we know it's a miracle. (laughs) So they turn around and go back to Rome. And Peter appears in the arena and gives a a speech again. And that's Mm -hmm. when he's arrested. So he speaks on behalf of the Christians. And the crowd is kind of like laughing at him. And he gets arrested. And he gets chucked in with the Christians. Which is great. Because that means that Peter is in the same cell as Lygia
0: and Vinicius. And those two finally get married what better place to tie the knot again it's a bit of a trope of the genre i mean you know you think about diana and marcellus in the robe true i don't think they actually ended up getting married per se mm. but you know they got together in their moment of absolute desperation everybody
1: gets together when they're locked up it's when you're never, on death row
0: yeah. You know, yeah yeah this is my best option <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> now's well my time in.
0: yeah
1: <laughs> And so they are now married, and this makes Popea's plan for them because she said to Nero, save those two. I've got something special of course. for you. And he's like, oh, I love that your depravity. That man is no <laughs> longer my sexual toy. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm feeling rejected by Vinicius. I'm definitely going to kill him the hard way. Yeah. She's like, just you wait. They bring out Lygia all dressed up in this beautiful sort of diaphanous purple robe. Naturally looking gorgeous so much vaseline tie her to a post <laughs> they bring out ursus don't tie him to a post and they bring marcus vinicius up to the imperial stage tied and chained to a metal post so he can't get down into the arena yeah he's gonna have to watch her die He is gonna have to watch her die mm. and they send out a bull sounds nasty it's it is nasty and i do wonder what happened to the bull so i hope the bull's okay i don't don't really want to know either i hope the bull's okay yeah ursus takes down the bull that's the essence of it which is an amazing feat and obviously not what nero was
0: expecting oh no yeah
1: and somebody had said to nero while they were like sort of watching on look if ursus is able to take out the bull i mean you'll have to let it You have to let Lygia off,
0: yeah, and that's you know that that, that's in keeping with what we know about how the arena works. If the crowd are wowed by a particular performance, they'll probably ask the patron of the games to please spare the person. Mm. Yeah, and as
1: predicted, the crowd is wild for Ursus's success, and they're like, they're all they're all like, yes, you have to let him off.
0: Yes, him free. Her too. Set them both free.
1: (laughs) And Nero has his most dramatic moment of doing almost as if he's going to go one way and with the support of the crowd and then goes the other way yeah. and everybody turns and it's chaos. And it's at this moment where the other subplot that I have not mentioned yet <laughs> really comes into play. So many subplots. Yeah. So in parallel to some of this stuff happening before Vinicius is arrested, he and Petronius are colluding together with others to get Galba into power. And so <laughs> I'm Sorry. getting I'm getting emotional. I you were come <laughs> again.
0: I'm
1: getting emotional. <laughs> So they have organized for Galba to come with some other legions and basically depose Nero with enough signatures, Galba will accept the Imperial leadership. And wouldn't you know, they turn up right about now. Right at the moment (laughs) where Nero has decided that Ursus will have to die. Yep. The army turns up yeah. in support of Galba. And they're like, Galba is your new emperor. <laughs> this is down there yelling to everybody, it's over. <laughs> uh, and Nero has to run away. Papaya runs away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go back. They retreat back to the palace. Yep. That doesn't go well for either of them.
0: No, because Nero blames Papaya for this whole mess. Yeah, he's like, you
1: were the one who wanted to blame the Christians for the fire. And now look where we are. Yeah. And then proceeds to
0: strangle her. Which she was not expecting. No, but is somewhat historically accurate in that Nero did murder Popea, but not mm. for that reason or in that way.
1: Yes. Mm. And so is then dead and he sort of retreats further into the palace and then there is this shadow mm. in his room oh. and he's like clearly, Great. clearly scared. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, this is it. Somebody's going to kill me. And it turns out that it's Act Day. Loyal to the end. She's here. Yeah, Yeah. And she's like, I told you I'd be here
0: at the end. And he's like, I didn't believe you. Uh,
1: (laughs) Do you you again? (laughs) I told
0: told you to go away. Yeah. But, of course, she's not there because she's going to make everything go away. I mean, she is just a freed woman slash slave woman slash something. (laughs) She gives him the opportunity to
1: take his life with dignity Mm. rather than being trampled down by... The Roman way. Yes. Yes. You know, do something honourable with your life. Yeah. He's not able to do it. No. He asks her to do that, uh, and she does. Yeah. So that's, uh, I think, devastating for her because she's still in love with him.
0: Yeah. But a fitting end for Nero. But, of course, we do get a happy ending because Vinicius and Lygia have managed to come out... Unscathed, basically. Oh, yeah. apart and, from maybe being traumatized, but And they seem to be
1: heading out of Rome with Ursus and the kid.
0: Yeah, they're heading to live on Vinicius' property in Sicily, where oh, they will live lovely. out the remainder of their lives undisturbed in spite of their Christianity. I'm basing that on what the novel says. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's Whoa. the film. Wow. And we didn't even mention that Petronius commits suicide in the midst of all that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And has Seneca deliver his letter, which is scathing to mm, Nero. Yep. I love the weeping vessel. Bring the weeping vessel. <laughs> and Nero puts his one tear, tear from each. each eye into the jar. And he's <laughs> like, seal this. Yes. To memorize. To oh. memorialize my feelings for Petronius. <laughs>
0: and look, this is the issue with Covardis. It's a it's a massive novel, it's a massive film every time you do it. Thank you for listening to this special episode of The Partial Historians. We'd like to thank all of our Patreons for their support in allowing us to make these additional episodes, especially Nick, who requested a discussion of Quo Vardis. If you too would like early access to our bonus shows, please consider becoming a Patreon. This has been part one of our coverage of Quo Vardis, so stay tuned and part two will be with you shortly. Our sources and credits for the episode can be found on our website. And until next time... We are yours in ancient Rome.